Good morning once again. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6? For those of you who are new with us this morning, we are working our way through the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday morning here at Calvary. And we find ourselves in a section that runs from chapters 5 through 7, a section commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we are currently at the end of chapter 6. And we said when we entered this chapter, in chapter 6, Jesus is dealing with the proper attitude and approach toward life and the things of this life. Whereas in the first 18 verses of chapter 6, he was dealing with the proper attitude towards spiritual things. In this section, verses 19 to 34, he is dealing with the proper attitude towards material things. And he does this in verses 19 to 24 by dealing with the proper attitude towards luxuries. And then in verses 25 to 34 by dealing with the proper attitude towards necessities. Now, we've already looked at verses 19 to 24 where Jesus was teaching on the proper attitude towards luxuries, not laying up for ourselves treasures on the earth, etc. Now we want to turn our attention to verses 25 to 34, as Jesus teaches on the proper attitude towards necessities. And So let's read those verses, where the Lord said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Six times in this section, Jesus commands us not to worry. That becomes in the main thought, the theme of this passage. You know, I think for most people, worry is just a regular part of their life. Well, I think for some, it's their favorite pastime. Uh, some people have uh, elevated worry to an art form. But worry isn't benign or harmless. It has some very devastating and debilitating physical and psychological consequences attached to it. I think all of us understand the problems associated with stress brought on by worry. You know, as far back as March 31st, 1961, Time Magazine published a cover story on the presence of anxiety in America. The article was entitled, Guilt and Anxiety. And it stated that, and I'm quoting, The breakdown of faith in God coupled with the accelerated pace of and high tension of modern life have produced intense anxiety in many millions of people. 
so much so that in fact it would be correct to call worry one of the most widespread and debilitating ailments of our time, end quote. And folks, after 50 years, we can say that that statement is no less true today. In fact, it is truer today than ever before. Physical conditions such as heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, nervous breakdowns, and other ailments brought on by stress fueled by worry have reached epidemic proportions in our society. Look at the number of people who are on some kind of medication for stress, anxiety, and so on. When the psalmist said, do not worry, it only causes harm, we now understand what he meant. But aside from all the physical and psychological problems associated with worry, it also has profound spiritual consequences attached to it as well. See, the Bible says that worry for the child of God is a sin. Worry is the opposite of faith, and without faith it's impossible to please God. Worry is basically saying to God, Lord, I know you meant well by what you said, but I just don't believe you can pull it off. See, worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and therefore the person and power of God. Again, worry makes God a liar who makes great promises, but promises he knew he couldn't really make good on. Worry will rob you of your peace, your joy, your fruitfulness in the Lord, your growth in the Lord, the blessings of God, and even your fellowship with God. Because if worry is a sin, sin severs our fellowship with the Lord on a practical level. To give you a good illustration on worry, let me share what I came across, okay? The Bureau of Standards in Washington, D.C., writing on the subject of fog, all right? And what makes it upset, and I'm quoting them, a dense fog that covers a seven-city block area 100 feet high is composed of 60 trillion droplets of water. Now, 60 trillion droplets, or seven-city blocks worth of fog, can close down airports, can tie up cities, and yet, if you condensed the 60 trillion droplets of water in that fog, you would come up with a glass of water half full. That's a pretty good illustration of worry, I think. We let so little rob us of so much, allowing it to blind our perception of reality and shut us down. What is worry? Well, some have defined it in these terms, and I'm quoting, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. Someone has said, worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind, and if encouraged, will cut a channel so wide that all of the thoughts will be drowned in it. It's pretty good. Give you one more. Worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. Look, the Greek word for worry, listen, literally means to be drawn in different directions. Worry makes you feel as though you're being pulled in many different directions at once, doesn't it? You feel out of control where problems and people are pulling you every which way, demanding your time and energy until you feel like you're going to snap. The English word worry comes from an old German root word that meant to choke or to strangle. And that's exactly what worry does. It's a kind of mental and emotional strangulation, which probably causes, as I said, more mental and physical afflictions than any other single cause. The worry, folks, will also strangle and cut off the flow of God's Spirit in your life, if you're a Christian, robbing you of the joy, the peace, 
and all the other fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now look, as human beings, we are prone to worry about everything. We worry about big things. We worry about little things. We worry about serious things. We worry about foolish things. But nothing do we worry about more than basic things. Things that are basic to life, such as food and drink, shelter and clothing, etc. You say, well, is there a cure? Because I'm a worrier, you say. I, man, I'm, that's me. I'm a worrier. Okay. Is there a cure for worry and anxiety? Well, the only solution that Time Magazine offered in the article I mentioned earlier was sedatives and psychotherapy. Fortunately, Jesus offered an entirely different and far more effective cure. Let me read verse 25 again. Where the Lord said, therefore I say to you, now he's talking to his disciples, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, realize that the one who is speaking is going to now make an application based on what he has just gotten done saying. And the last thing that the Lord Jesus Christ said before verse 25 was verse 24. Aren't you glad you come here to have me enlighten you on these difficult concepts? <laughs> and in verse 24, he talked about masters, didn't he? He said, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon was the God of money. So two masters. As Christians, we know who our master is, right? But again, the concept of being a slave, and that's what he was talking about, the relationship of a slave to a master. As we've already pointed out in New Testament times, a slave was bought and owned. He had no legal rights, he owned no property, and could not refuse any of his master's commands. He was totally dependent on his master for everything he needed to live. Again, he owned nothing. So in other words, he had to have faith in his master's care and in his faithfulness to provide his basic necessities, the things basic for life. He had to have faith in his master's care and faithfulness that those things would be provided for him and his family, if he had one, every day of their life. See, we are the slaves of Jesus Christ, who is our master. And as such, we must have faith that he will provide everything we need in this life as well. Let me illustrate the relationship of worry and faith to each other with a story. Here's the story. It says, and I quote, At a certain college, there was a professor with a reputation for being tough on Christians. At the first class every semester, he asked if anyone was a Christian and proceeded to degrade and mock their statement of faith. One semester, he asked the question, and a young man raised his hand when asked if anyone was a Christian. The professor asked, did God make everything, young man? Yes, he did, sir, the young man replied. The professor responded, well, if God made everything, then God made evil. And if we can only create from within ourselves, then God is evil. The student didn't have a response, and the professor was happy to have once again proved the Christian faith to be a myth. Then another man raised his hand and asked, May I ask you something, sir? Yes, you may, responded the professor. The young man stood up and said, Sir, is there such a thing as cold? Of course there is. What kind of a question is that? Haven't you ever been cold? The young man replied, Actually, sir, cold does not exist. 
What we consider to be cold is really only the absence of heat. Absolute zero is when there is absolutely no heat. But cold does not really exist. We have only created that term to describe how we feel when heat is not there. The young man continued, Sir, is there such a thing as darkness? Once again, the professor responded, Of course there is. And once again, the student replied, Actually, sir, darkness does not exist. Darkness is really only the absence of light. Darkness is only a term man developed to describe what happens when there is no light present. Finally, the young man asked, Sir, is there such a thing as evil? The professor responded, Of course. We have rapes and murders and violence everywhere in the world. Those things are evil. The student replied, Actually, sir, evil does not exist. Evil is simply the absence of God. Evil is a term man developed to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. It isn't like truth or love, which exist as virtues like heat and light. Evil is simply the state where God is not present, like coal without heat or darkness without light. The professor had nothing to say. In a sense, I think the same thing is true when we talk about worry. Worry is really only the absence of faith. Worry is really only the absence of faith. That's why worry is so bad for you spiritually, because worry is the absence of faith, and faith is our spiritual umbilical cord that connects us to God and allows everything we need to survive and flourish spiritually to flow from God into our lives. Worry strangles and cuts off that flow. And so when we talk about overcoming worry, I think what we're really talking about is learning how to increase our faith. As our faith increases, worry will decrease proportionally. I mean, look at it this way. How do you overcome darkness? By turning on the light, right? How do you overcome cold? By turning up the heat. How do you overcome worry? By spending years in therapy learning how to fight worry? No, as a believer, you overcome worry by increasing your faith. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by how? The word of God. And that's why when it comes to having faith in God to provide our basic necessities, we first have to know what God has promised us along these lines in his word. I mean, if faith is based on the promises of God, then we have to know what those promises are, right? So a lot of Christians don't have faith in God because they really don't know what God has promised them in his word. That's a big problem today. Well, one of the classic passages in the Bible that teaches us what God has promised to provide for his children in the way of basic necessities is the one before us this morning. It starts out with a command from Jesus that we must not worry or be anxious about our physical necessities. See at the beginning of verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. And from there the Lord proceeds to give four reasons why we shouldn't worry about our physical needs. Now, I'll give them to you right now, and we'll only take the first one today and finish these next week. But he gives four reasons why we shouldn't worry out of this passage. First of all, worrying about our physical needs degrades our fullness, denies our Father, denigrates our faith, and destroys our future. And we'll see those as we go. The first one, though, the reason that we shouldn't worry about our physical needs is because it degrades our fullness. Verse 25, and by that I mean the fullness of all that God created us to be. Let me read that verse one more time. 
Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Of course, that last statement, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing, would have impacted them more than us because they were far more susceptible to famine, drought, and nakedness than we are. However, it still applies to us as well. Worrying about, listen, worrying about and focusing on our physical needs degrades the fullness of all that God has created us to be. The dictionary defines degrade this way. To lower in grade, rank, or status. In other words, to demote. To strip of rank or honors. Number three, to lower to an inferior or less effective level. And that's the one that really caught my eye. To lower to an inferior or less effective level. The Lord Jesus Christ was trying to elevate not only their perception of life, but all of ours, really. Beyond the mere physical to include the spiritual. You see, animals were created by God to live a two-dimensional existence. Animals have a body and a consciousness. We call it the soul, all right? But they do not have a spirit. So animals live a two-dimensional existence. They have a body, they have a consciousness, and their consciousness lives to satisfy the body's appetites. That's what an animal is. They live to eat, to procreate, etc. They are, were created for the earth and for nothing else but the earth. When they die, they cease to exist. Man, however was not originally created as a two-dimensional being. Man, and only man, was originally created to be a three-dimensional being, to enjoy a three-dimensional existence because mankind was originally created in the image of God. God is a triune being, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God originally created us a triune being of spirit, soul, and body. And in that order, folks, the spirit was the uppermost. The consciousness lived to satisfy the spirit's desires and the body, which was important, but not all consuming in the beginning, was on the lower rung of man's existence. In other words, it was important, but it was only a last thing to worry about. And God being father, son and spirit and man being spirit, soul and body connected with each other in the area of the spirit, spirit to spirit for the purpose of communion and fellowship. When sin entered the human race in the garden, it destroyed man's spirit. In the day that you eat of the fruit, God said, you will surely die. What died immediately was man's spirit, which severed his connection with God, severed his communion with God, and flipped his now two-dimensional nature upside down, where the body, which had been the lowest in man's existence, was now uppermost, and his consciousness only lived to satisfy the body appetite. That's why Peter talks about fallen sinners, um, many of whom... Of course, unbelievers act in different ways. Not all unbelievers are as bad as others. But we're seeing more and more to our society, man becoming more and more aggressive in wanting to satisfy his body appetites. More and more violent, in a sense, too. And so we have this thing today where Peter says that the natural man, unbelieving man, is like a brute animal that ought to be caught and destroyed. Well, that's what's going to happen to unbelievers if they don't give their hearts to Christ. 
Because if they only live for this life and the appetites of the body and put the body on the top rung and it's everything, listen to me, they are going to lose their lives forever. But when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, something wonderful and miraculous happened. At that very instant, we were born again, right? We were born of the Spirit. Our spirit came alive. And our nature was flipped right side up. And we came together again with God in the area of the Spirit, spirit to spirit, right? The world, of course, which is upside down, if you're living in an upside down world to you, upside down looks right side up, doesn't it? So when somebody gets saved, to you, they're flipped upside down. And they're a total enigma. They, they're, you know, you look, unbelievers look at Christians and they go, you guys are weird, man. You're just, you're just out to lunch. Here we're going through problems, you know, and the peace of God fills our heart. And of course, it's a peace that the world does not understand. Uh, a peace that goes beyond human comprehension, right? And here we are, you know, we go, okay, yeah, okay, lost my job, my car blew up, and, you know, whatever else. And, but you know what? Hey, the joy of the Lord is my strength. He's going to take care of me. And the world's like, you've you got to be anxious, man. You gotta, how come you're not worried? See, the world thinks we're upside down. Actually, God has flipped us right side up. But it's like when Paul and his guys went, I think it was Thessalonica, and they were preaching the gospel, and the Jews came there, and they, they stirred up people, and they went and said to the leaders of the, of the city, those men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. No, you got that wrong. Actually, you're upside down. God flipped them right side up. And their ministry was all about turning people back to God, restoring them to what God originally created them to be, living right side up in an upside down world. And believe me, the world doesn't appreciate that. But we were created by God not to live a two-dimensional existence. And whenever a person, and, and sometimes believers can fall into this, but whenever an unbeliever, and especially a Christian, is satisfied to live at a two-dimensional level of existence, where all they think about is what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, they, listen, degrade themselves from the fullness of all God has created them to be, Right? They settle for an inferior or less effective level, as the dictionary defines, degrades. God didn't make us to be two-dimensional beings living only to satisfy the body appetites or worrying ourselves sick about where food, clothing, shelter is going to come from. We were created in the image of God. No animal was made in the image of God. The fall changed that and made man more like the animal kingdom. Of course, we have professors and scientists who are reinforcing that. The Bible says we were made a little lower than the angels. Scientists say we evolved a little higher than the apes. You go figure it out. Which is going to lead to the most full existence, right? I'm just a little higher than the animal kingdom or I'm a little lower than the angels of God. Look, the Lord Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples back then, and of course, us today, is this all that's li that life is about? Survival, existence? I mean, are human beings no different than the animal kingdom? Having no higher purpose to fulfill so that all they're concerned about is satisfying the body's appetites? Well, if you watch TV, it seems that way, doesn't it? You see all the commercials for health clubs and health foods and makeup and clothing and jewelry and plastic surgery, you know? I mean, taking care of the body has always been an obsession for many, especially the people of the world. But look, we can all fall into the trap 
of obsessing about our body. As one author said, and I quote, we pamper the body, decorate it, exercise it, protect it from disease and pain, build it up, slender it down, drape it with jewelry, keep it warm or keep it cool, train it to work and to play, help it to get to sleep, and a hundred other things that serve to satisfy our bodies, end quote. To say we are obsessed with our bodies today would be an understatement. This is a real tragedy in the church. That God's people have become preoccupied with the physical over the spiritual. Peter said, don't let your adorning be of outward beauty. Braiding of the hair and wearing of fine apparel. But let it be the inward beauty of the heart, right? We should, be, we should be focusing on inward beauty. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't take care of ourselves and, and you know, that the women can't wear makeup. I mean, uh, some gal called uh, the late uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee on the radio one time because he had a show, and, and she was all against women wearing makeup. She went to probably a holiness church, and she was convinced Dr. McGee would side with her. And so she said, Dr. McGee, you know that that's carnal. You know that's worldly, that women shouldn't wear makeup. What do you have to say about it? And McGee in his southern drawl said, Madam, if the barn needs Peyton, paint it. <laughs> It says it all, folks. So girls at the barn needs pain. Yeah, I didn't say that. He said that, okay? You get to heaven, you can take it up with him. Um, but, but even as Christians, right, we can sometimes get caught up in the world's mentality of living for the body instead of living in our body. And by that I mean... This body is only a vehicle for my spirit and your spirit to live in. God prepared a physical body for our spirits to live in, in this dimensionality, so we can express ourselves, interact with one another, and so on. This body is not the real me. I was talking to one of the guys after first service, and he was talking about this, uh, how he, when he shares this with the guys he works with, they think he's crazy. The body is not the real me. It's the spirit. They think you're kind of a new age nut job. I said, well, all you got to do is point to the car you, outside that you came to work in. So, look, I came to work in that church, that car. Uh, for some people, their car is their church. Uh, I came to work in that car. That car wasn't the real me. I was just in that car. It got me from one place to another. The same is true with these physical bodies, okay? They just get us from one place to another in this dimensionality. That's all they are. They're not the real us. We live in the body. We shouldn't be living for the body. It's to be used not worshipped, taken care of, yes, but not made the focus of our lives. Again, the body wasn't created by God to be the be-all, end-all of life, as if our bodies only exist to be adorned and pampered and gratified, as so many people think that that's why they do, their body is all about. The body was made by God for God, for his purposes, which is why Jesus challenged his disciples on this with the statement, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he brought that challenge to application in verse 33, where he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. What other things? All the things you need to survive in the physical realm. God knows you have needs. He knows we have need of water and food and shelter and clothing. I mean, he made us. We're not saying that, that those things are unimportant. They're just not to be all-consuming is the idea. 
He'll take care of the physical, but he does not want his people to live at the level of the physical. Don't live at the level of the physical. Live at the level of the spirit. Jesus said there is so much more to life than living for the body. He said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits what? Nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life because life is in the spirit, not in the body. I mean, I know a lot of unbelievers are having a great time with their bodies. I mean, they're out there pampering the body and exercising the body and recreating the body and whatever else they're doing with the body. I'm not saying they can't have fun, you know, doing stuff. But folks, that's not life, okay? Life is only in the spirit. See, life at its core is not the activities you engage in outwardly. It's what you are inwardly. But at the end of the day, when you're laying in bed with the lights out, staring at a dark ceiling, trying to wonder why you're so empty inside because you've got all this money and these things and you go all these places and have all these wonderful material things and I'm still lonely and empty inside. It's because you're living but you don't have life. And there's only life in the Spirit. There's only fullness of joy when Jesus Christ lives in your heart. That's why His words were Spirit and life because He came to elevate our understanding away from this earthly existence to a heavenly existence. So that's why Paul the Apostle said in Colossians 3, verse 2, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And why the Lord Jesus Christ said earlier in this chapter, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. Things on earth are transitory, they're they're temporary, but instead as children of God, because no unbeliever is going to do this, This is an admonition to believers who have been born in the Spirit. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For wherever your what? Treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever you value in life is going to have control of your heart and dominate your life. The only life worth living is a life that is lived for God's glory. What does that mean? When Jesus said in John 17, Father, I have glorified your name on the earth. What did he mean by that? He meant that he had truly manifested the character of the Father to the people of this world. That's how God gets glory from us. That we go around living our lives in such a way that we are always represent. I do always those things that please the Father, Jesus said. That's how he represented the Father. And as we as believers always do those things that please our Heavenly Father, as we always live our lives as best we can by the Spirit's power to to live our lives in such a way that we are representing God to this world in a proper way, we are glorifying our Heavenly Father. And in the process, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Folks, let me end with this. The devil will always try to use the physical. Listen. Listen. The devil will always try to use the physical to rob us of our full potential as God's people. Created in his image to enjoy his fellowship and to conduct ourselves on this earth for his service. And as we fellowship with him, have communion, as we devote our lives in serving him because he is our master, I am his slave. And like Paul said to the Lord on the road to Damascus after his eyes were open, Lord, what would you have your servant to do? That's got to be our life statement. Lord, 
I belong to you. What will you have me to do? You are my master. And as we live our lives to please our master, we are laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And we are fulfilling our full purpose for why God created us. So we will continue next week, God willing, looking at the other things that Jesus said, not to worry because they caused these things. And I think you'll find that when we're through with this uh, section, uh, hopefully God will renew your faith in his ability to provide, to take care of you, and that will cause worry to just <laughs> strangle worry. How about that? Worry strangles us. How about we get around its throat and strangle it? By knowing what God has told us and trusting that what he has said, he is fully able to bring to pass. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It truly, Lord, contains everything we need for life and godliness. And Lord, we need to walk in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please you, Lord. Worry will choke out the flow of everything you want to do for us and to give us in the spirit. And so, Lord, forgive us for worrying. It's a slap in your face, Lord. It says that we don't really trust you to do what you've said. Father, forgive us. It's a serious sin. And I know some are more prone than others to worry, and they really don't want to worry, Lord, but it just gets a hold of their heart. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would fill them afresh with your spirit, and that, Lord, you would just squeeze out all the worry and replace it with that perfect peace that comes from trusting you implicitly in all circumstances. We love you, Lord. We thank you that your word is true. And if we walk in its light, we'll never stumble in darkness. We won't be racked with fear, worry, anxiety. We just praise you, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.